I hope everybody had a nice weekend. We had an interesting weekend as uh, a family. My dad has been living down in uh, Delaware, and we encouraged, we've been encouraging him to move back to uh, northeast Pennsylvania, where most of my family lives. And uh, so he decided, all right, I'll, final, I'll take the encouragement. So he, he closed on the house on Friday, and so yesterday uh, my wife and I decided, all right, well, we have today, let's go paint the entire house. And so without exaggerate, we dropped our son off at work at quarter to seven in the morning, drove a couple hours up to Northeast PA and painted. We were doing the math. We were trying to figure out, we're like, all right, when did we start? And we started at 9.15 and we finished painting at 10.45 p.m. And I was doing the math too last night because I was still up in Northeast PA 12 hours ago and I, uh, you know, with paint all over myself. And I thought, wow, in 12 hours from now, I have to stand before the congregation and speak. And I'm not even down there yet, you know, and I still have to sleep somewhere in between. Um, so my wife and I are both really sore. We feel like we're walking like the tin man before he got oil. Um, and when I'm really tired, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth on a Sunday morning. But here's another thing. Um, Harvard did a study a few years ago where they figured out that when you're painting, so if you're rolling paint, this is true. I know I make stuff up sometimes in jokes, um, but this is true. Uh, (laughs) They did a study where they said they figured out that a half hour of painting burns 200 calories. So I was doing the math, and some of you were probably even saying when you walked in today, why is Pastor John so fit and trim? Like when did like between last week and today he obviously has started following an exercise program? Um, no, I just burned according to their study forty eight hundred calories painting yesterday. So I have got a lot of room for a lot of food today, and uh, I'm going to take great advantage of that. But it's good to see everybody. Last week we began a study of the book of Romans, and uh, we're going to continue our study today. And I'll, I'll caution us on uh, one thing. Some of you in this room I know really, really well, and some of us in this room I don't know hardly at all other than just some polite greetings we've shared. So there are things in the portion of Scripture that we're about to look at that socially speaking would be really hot-button type topics to talk about. In fact, a lot of times when you try and talk about some of the subjects that we're going to find in the section of Romans that we're in today... You're just not allowed to in the sense that you might get shouted down. It's very hard to have a civil discussion in many contexts about the type of things we're going to talk about today. So what I'll say at the outset, not knowing everyone's opinions or beliefs, I'm going to do my best to present faithfully what the Scripture is sharing today. And if in some area you disagree, I hope that at the end of the day we could still be friends and greet each other nicely. But what I want to do is talk about the type of things that really need to be said, but usually don't get said because they're too touchy. And I don't want to skip stuff like that when we get to it in the Scriptures. I don't want to even glaze over it. I just want to let the Word of God say what it says and let it convict our hearts like it's designed to, and then we can wrestle with it from there. And that's kind of the Scripture we're looking at today, because it really does poke at a variety of things. And if it's doing its job, it'll probably poke at something in my life and your life today that needs to be, um, you know, tweaked a little bit. So if you would, take, the, take your Bibles and open up with me to Romans chapter 1. We're in the second half of Romans 1 today. We're looking at verses 18 down to verse 32. 
And today we're going to be talking about uh, the dark side of disbelief and what that looks like and how the Apostle Paul describes that in this passage. So Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18, and I'm going to read the whole scripture that we're going to be looking at today, and then we're going to take it uh, small pieces at a time. But in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18, it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the cre- uh, the cre- excuse me and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen for this reason god gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of your word today, that you'd help us to understand it in its entirety and that you'd help us to apply it uh, not just in a general sense, but in a personal sense. We pray, Lord, that as we look at a portion of Scripture like this, that it's, it's interesting to look at something that was written a couple thousand years ago and uh, just realize how relevant it is in the day in which we live in, because people are people. We all do the same things. In our generation, we do the same things that people did during Paul's generation. We tend to believe the same things. We tend to go in a direction with our lives that, apart from you, resembles what people did in generations before us, because people are people, but we're grateful for the redemption that we experience through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Rescuer and our Redeemer. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you've given us new hearts and new minds through faith in your Son. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at a portion of Scripture like this, that we would do so with your eyes and with a sensitivity toward your heart. 
And we pray, Lord, that by your grace that we would be people who reflect the heart of your Son, Jesus Christ. So we commit this time to you now, Lord, and we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, spent some time yesterday in Home Depot. And uh, sometimes I find myself in Home, Home Depot so often that uh, I, I feel like people are starting to recognize me, you know? And um, years ago, I happened to be in Home Depot in a different area of the state. And from a distance, I actually saw somebody that I knew. Now, typically, when that takes place, I make a point to go up and say hello and and talk for a little bit. I don't know what it is about running into somebody that you know, but seeing them in a place you don't normally see them, you stand there and look at each other with amazement, like, I, sh- I shop here too. It's like, yeah, yeah, I also need tools. This is amazing. We're like the same person. Um, typically, you know, we, we do stuff like that, right? But on this particular occasion, when I saw this person that I knew, I didn't, I didn't want to greet them. I didn't want to talk to them. In fact, the man that I had seen had not long before created a lot of conflict for some mutual friends. And I I remember thinking I didn't want to engage him in conversation because I really didn't want to get drawn into that drama. So I saw him from a distance, but I pretended like I hadn't seen him. And I don't know if if you've ever done that, or maybe I shouldn't confess that I did it, but I did. And uh, I pretended that I hadn't seen him. I kept shopping. I tried not to be seen. To my knowledge, he never knew I was there. Um, But it felt very strange to me because that's not what I like to do. Typically, when you see someone you know, you like to greet them or or say hi to them. And and I felt really weird doing that, walking through the store, shopping, trying not to be seen, pretending that I didn't know this man was there, even though I very much knew he was there. Now, I bring that up because in many ways, that's what the large percentage or the largest percentage of humanity is trying to do in regard to God. Instinctively, we know He's there. We find ourselves doing our best to pretend that He isn't while also doing everything we can to try and run away from Him. And there are consequences for spending your life doing this. And a dark side of living with this kind of disbelief that you have the Apostle Paul describing in this portion of the book of Romans in the second half of chapter 1. And as we look at this chapter, I think one of the things that's easiest to do when we look at a chapter like this is to point fingers in all sorts of directions and think that this Scripture is primarily just talking about other people other than us. But I don't want us to look at a portion of Scripture like this and have that, this is talking about other people uh, kind of mindset. I want us to think about this chapter in an introspective way, just as much as we're thinking about it from the perspective of culture. And so, as we look at this, there's just a few questions that I want us to be asking. And one is this, are we suppressing the truth? Now, why am I asking that? Well, look at the first few verses again. Look at verse 18 and a few of the verses after that. Again, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then Paul goes on to say, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world 
in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Let's pause there for just a second. So one of the greatest gifts that God can bless us with is to help us finally admit that we need to experience His gift of salvation. And I think that it can be a difficult and sometimes confrontational process to go through. But in the end, it's for our benefit. And that's something that I believe that the Lord was doing through Paul's teaching in this passage. He's using this teaching to show us just how desperate our condition is without Him. And He's helping us to recognize our need to be rescued. He's helping us to recognize our need to be redeemed. God wants to be known by us. Now, if He chose to, He could have hidden Himself from us, and He could have made us completely incapable of perceiving His presence. But that's not what God has chosen to do. In fact, He utilizes some of the biggest and most obvious tools He can use to convince us of His existence. And when you look at what this Scripture tells us, we're being told that creation itself is being used by God to testify to the fact that He is real, that He exists. Many of the elements that comprise God's design of the physical universe, including the laws that govern it, and the orderliness of the systems that God has put in place, not only systems at work in the universe and laws like the speed of light and the, the law of gravity, but also just consider some of the systems at work in your body and in my body, systems that the Lord has put into place. These things testify to His existence. These things give us obvious proof of the existence of an intentional designer. Why does the speed of light always travel at the same, at the same rate? You know, why, why does the law of gravity work consistently the way it works? Because God has put these things into place. They testify to the fact that there's an intentional designer, Him. Now, for someone to look at His creation, to look at what God has created, and to study the details of His creation, and actually get to know it, and then deny His existence, that requires active suppression of truth. The Scripture here is telling us that, that this goes beyond pure ignorance, right? It's not just, just that someone could say, I was ignorant of these things. This Scripture tells us that to, to look at the details of what God has created and to deny the fact that there is an intentional designer be, behind it all, it requires active suppression of truth. No one can claim to have been blissfully unaware of the reality of a Creator, we all instinctively know that He exists. Now, knowing Him personally is a different thing, but instinctively, we are designed to know that He exists. And we can either embrace that truth, or we can do our best to try and suppress that truth. But there's actually a mind-altering danger that we set ourselves up for experiencing if we spend our lives suppressing the truth. So think about this for a second. If we spend our lives dedicated to suppressing the truth that God has made obvious to us, what's going to happen to us? Well, when you look at this portion of Scripture, it tells us that our thinking will become futile, and our hearts will become darkened, and we will become foolish, and eventually we will start worshiping created things instead of worshiping our eternal Creator. And on top of that, there will always be a part of us that remains hardened. Our hearts will harden toward God, 
And that hardening will eventually extend toward our fellow man. It'll be lived out in how we live our day-to-day lives. A hardness toward God is going to extend to the other relationships we have here on this earth. We'll be hardened toward our fellow man as well. And that is the path that many have selected throughout history, and that's a path that many people have chosen to embrace today to harden their hearts against God, to harden their their hearts against others. And again, it would be super easy to look at a portion of Scripture like this and think it's primarily talking about other people and that I don't need to do any introspection. But I just want to throw this out there to us today. Have any of us chosen this path? Meaning this idea of suppressing the truth. Can, Can we honestly say that at no point in our life have we ever tried to suppress truth? And what I mean by that in the context that many of us operate in is this. The suppression of truth happens every single time we choose to ignore the voice of God. Every time I try to ignore the voice of God, I am suppressing truth. Every time you try to ignore the voice of God, you are suppressing truth. When he testifies to the reality of his, of his power through creation, and when he speaks to us through his word, and when he reveals himself to us through his son, or when he makes an impression upon our conscience through the work of the Holy Spirit, We can either openly embrace his attempts to communicate to us, or we can shut him out. And if we shut him out, we show beyond a a shadow of a doubt just how deserving we are of being on the receiving end of his righteous wrath toward wickedness and willful defiance that's being described in this portion of Scripture. That's what Paul was explaining in this passage as he's setting up this topic, and he's going to go into further detail. And, and so even as we set up the further detail, maybe we could ask, so what does God do about this? So if people have a habit, and people meaning all of us, right? We have a bad habit of suppressing the truth, particularly if it's truth we don't want to hear, particularly if it's truth that conflicts with what we prefer to believe. And I'm convinced that the Lord intentionally offends us from time to time to get our attention, to shake us out of believing the things that we would prefer to believe, and to point us in the direction of truth. So what is God doing about this? If people are suppressing the truth, if this is the pattern of humanity, and we're just doing this, and this is our habit, and this is our preference, what's God doing about this? And maybe a follow-up question we could ask to that is this. Do we want God to prevent us from going in a harmful direction? Do we even want Him to do that? Do we want Him to intervene in our lives? Do we want Him to prevent us from going in a harmful direction. Let me reread some of the verses we read a few moments ago uh, from Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 24. There it says this, in the verses following it say, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Then it says in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to a dis, gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, let me pause there for a second and say this. 
And I'm sure that almost all of us in this room will probably identify with this statement. But growing up, I often wished that my parents would have allowed me to do whatever I wanted. And I felt like I was on their level from, you know, probably by the time I was five years old, I thought I could make adult decisions for myself. And I wanted them to, to, to allow me to do whatever I wanted. And so growing up, I would frequently bristle against their attempts to offer me structure or to place restrictions on me. Now, as a dad and as somebody who's, who's, uh, obviously gotten a little bit older, I see that the parameters that they placed upon me were evidence of their love. But at the time, I didn't really feel loved. At the time, I really just felt contained, and I didn't want to feel contained. But yet, because they loved me, they were putting those structures in my life, and they were trying to protect me from going in a direction that was harmful for me. It was evidence of, of their love. In fact, I had a friend that grew up without much parameter and without much supervision, and it still affects him to this very day. We are now in our 40s, and I see him continuing to bear the scars of not feeling protected or reined in in healthy ways during the season when he was growing up. It still shows up in his life. It's evidence of love to protect someone you love from going in a harmful direction. So now just imagine your life without parameters. Imagine if those parameters weren't there. Imagine if, if, um, if you really were permitted to go in whichever direction you pleased, even if there would be real consequences both in the short term and in the long term. Would you want God to stop preventing and protecting you from what might harm you, or would you rather remain ignorant of the harm? Which would you prefer? Sometimes our answer to that question probably depends on the situation, doesn't it? So if we're really honest, there's probably moments where we're like, oh, Lord, please protect me. And then in other moments, we're like, Lord, if you could just focus on someone else for like a half hour, that would be swell. When you look at this passage of Scripture, Paul makes it clear that while God is patient and his patience is perfect, there's also a limit to the application of God's patience to our lives. It's possible to come to a place where God will give us over to the lusts of our hearts. So as we suppress the truth that he has revealed, and as we continue in our fantasy where we try to pretend he doesn't even exist, we can come to that dreadful place where God will allow us to embrace our sinful cravings. And sometimes this happens on an individual scale, and sometimes we could point to evidence where this happens on a larger scale. In fact, just this week, I was watching TV with my kids. We don't have cable, but we have Hulu. I don't know if any of you use Hulu or anything like that. We used to use Netflix, and then we kind of ran out of stuff that interested us, and we're like, ah, let's try Hulu. Uh, but the difference between Netflix and Hulu is now we have commercials, and so one of the commercials that keeps coming on, and this wasn't like once or twice, it was like every third commercial break this would come on. Uh, it was a credit card company commercial, and basically the credit card company commercial, what it was doing was it was espousing the virtue of two men living in a homosexual relationship. That was one of the big things trying to be communicated by that commercial. And I was getting, uh, I felt very disturbed by that, and uh, I it kept showing up over and over and over again. I thought, wow, like, you don't even have to look for, for you know, content like that. It's, it's being put right in front of your face, 
at any given time. And I want you to think about something either personally or culturally or maybe both. But why has there been such an embrace of homosexuality in this generation? Why is it embraced more and more? I think the answer is simple, although giving this answer guarantees I can never run for political office. But I think the answer is very simple, and I think it's given to us in this chapter, and the answer is this. We have chosen to suppress the truth instead of embracing the truth. If you suppress the truth instead of embracing the truth, you will embrace something else in place of the truth. And what has happened is God has given us over to what we've chosen. He's given us over to what we've chosen. We should be embracing Him, but we're currently rejecting Him. And now we're embracing the very things that He has assured us will bring us death, disease, and depression. So we choose to embrace those things, and we stop embracing Him. And so He gives us over to what we've persisted in choosing to embrace as we suppress the truth. And by the way, this is not the first time in human history where this has taken place. If you take even just a short time to examine the pattern of humanity throughout the centuries, you'll see the same pattern that Paul is talking about here in this chapter taking place in other areas of history. This is not unique to our station in, you know, where we are on the globe or when we live. This is, you know, people are people. And people and nations who suppress the truth of God are eventually given over to their passions. And they begin worshiping the creation instead of worshiping the Creator, and they become inflamed in lust for one another in ways that conflict with God's design for human sexuality. This is the fruit that is produced in a life that rejects the presence of the author of life. But for a moment, let's also consider something else. Consider the ways in which the Father has blessed you if you have come to Him through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. At the moment you believed, you were indwelled with the Holy Spirit who convicts your heart in very healthy and redemptive ways. And He restrains your passions when they are dishonorable. And He guides us into all truth so that we won't be numbered among those who spend their lives suppressing truth. I love what we're told in John chapter 16 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But in John 16 verse 13 it says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains it will do so until He is out of the way. So the question remains, do we personally want God to prevent us from going in a harmful direction? Is that the desire of your heart? Do you want God, if, you're, if you start drifting in a direction that is not in line with His will and not in line with His heart, do you want Him to step into your life and prevent you from going in that direction? If He's Lord of your life, the answer to that question is an absolute yes. It is a blessing. It is evidence of God's love that He intervenes in our lives. It's evidence of God's love that He protects us from things that we would sometimes prefer Him not to protect us from. The fruit of our lives apart from Christ would be dreadful. It is a blessing that the Lord intervenes. In fact, 
Let's just ask the question, what will the fruit of our lives look like apart from Christ? Because Paul finishes up this section by answering that question. Look at what it says starting in verse 28. It says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. By the way, parents, you're welcome. Let me know if you ever want me to preach a message just on that, because solidarity, right? Long distance high five, parents. Yes? All right. I did see, I won't point out anyone, but I did see a parent in this room when I read this scripture earlier, look at their child and be like, I did see that, that just happened here. Let me continue the list. Verse 31, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now again, if you consider yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, have you ever considered what this season of your life would actually look like if you never came to faith in Him? You know, like, what would you be doing right now? What would the priorities of your life be? What would your day-to-day life actually look like if you never came to faith in Him? And Paul paints a picture of a life that's lived apart from Christ over the long term here, doesn't he? Paints a picture of what, what begins to be the fruit of a life lived apart from Christ. And what he's doing here is he's displaying a powerful contrast between the person who operates with the mind of Christ and the person who lives in the darkness and confusion that spring forth from a debased mind. And Scripture teaches us to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. You look at what Scripture says about this subject. We're encouraged to be men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to yield ourselves fully to the Holy Spirit, to be under His direct influence. Picture yourself like a cup, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit to the point where there's not a part of that cup that, that you're avoiding His presence. There's not a part of that cup that you're not, not allowing Him to, to fill you all the way up to. And it's the idea that you want to be overflowing with His presence, completely yielded to the Holy Spirit, not holding any part of our lives back, right? Not being selfish with anything that the Lord's blessed us with, but saying, Lord, be Lord of every area of my life. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And a believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit is not going to spend their lives suppressing truth, and they're not going to spend their lives trying to shrink back from the presence of God, and they're not going to try and shrink back from the influence of God. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, he says there. Now, the alternative to being filled with the Spirit is to be filled with unrighteousness or evil. And Paul makes sure to tell us what that looks like in this passage of Scripture. He says that a person who is filled with unrighteousness will make that evident in many ways, including things like covetousness. His list is long, but he talks about covetousness, malice, slander, boastfulness, disobedience toward parents, heartlessness, and gossip, and many other things. And basically what he's saying is this is the fruit of a life that's being lived without Christ at its center. And admittedly, I think when I look at a list like that, it is way easier for me to point those things out in someone else's life 
than to point the finger at myself and say, oh, wait, you definitely are struggling with that one and that one and that one. Stop reading the list because, oh, no, nope, and that one and that one and that one and that one, right? Don't we struggle with pretty, like with all these things? I mean, is anyone here perfect yet? I don't know. I didn't know if anyone came here today already in their glorified state. Um, I'm not there yet. Uh, maybe some, someone else is. Uh, no, the truth is, right now we're in the process of being sanctified. We wrestle with these things. And here Paul is saying, this is the fruit of a life that's being lived apart from Christ. And I want us to look at these things, not just uh, to, to cast blame on somebody else. I want us to be introspective when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. It's meant to convict our hearts. It's meant to point out areas to us where we're not welcoming Christ to be Lord. And you have Paul bringing these things up in this first chapter of the book of Romans, because what he's doing is actually setting a stage for what comes next throughout the book. So as we continue looking at the book of Romans, one of the things that he'll make clear is just how we find the solution to all this mess through Jesus Christ. He's setting up the stage of where we're at apart from Christ so that we'll understand more about our need for Christ. And he's doing this all, he's front-loading this book with this information to prepare us for the remedy. Because Jesus has defeated evil. He's the remedy for our sin. Jesus has defeated evil. He's defeated unrighteousness. Jesus has defeated the lies that we once tried to embrace because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the fruit of our lives will look spoiled and poisonous apart from His righteous presence within us. And for that reason, Christ invites us to trust in Him. He invites us to believe. He invites us not to hold anything back from Him. And that can be a struggle for every one of us, no matter how long you have been a follower of Christ. I think we're often finding ourselves in that struggle where we're saying, Lord, am I still trying to idolize my own preferences over listening to your voice? Am I trying to cherry-pick what I want to hear from you and holding things that I would prefer to believe and practice above what you have clearly said? Are you familiar with Charles Spurgeon? Some of you are, maybe some of you aren't. Um, He lived in the 1800s. He served the Lord as a pastor over in England and uh, was... A fascinating person. He started his ministry um, pretty young. He was a teenager when he started pastoring. And uh, he was a very, uh, very good writer, uh, had a, a genuine pastor's heart. And this is what he, this is counsel that he gave to people in his generation. And I think this is good counsel for us, particularly when we talk about these things, you know, where, where Christ invites us to trust in him, where Christ invites us to listen to his word, where Christ invites us not to hold anything back from him. Spurgeon said this, he said, I would recommend that you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. What's he saying? He's saying, like, don't be on the fence about this stuff. Either believe it or just reject it. Take a real consistent stand, right? He says, there is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. His encouragement to his congregation at the time was, 
jump all the way in. Trust Christ completely and let that be evidence, evidenced in your day-to-day life. Because there is a dark side to disbelief. And I hope we can see the real danger that's being presented in this passage of that dark side. And if we've come to see that, I think it's worth asking ourselves, again, the introspective questions that we've been asking today to determine if we've been attempting to embrace that disbelief in any area of our lives. You know, are we suppressing the truth? Do we actually want God to prevent us from going in a harmful direction, or do we still kind of hope He'll let us go in that direction? And what will the fruit of our lives look like apart from the righteous presence of Christ within us? That's the stage that's being set for our study of this book going forward. One last thing I want to read to us today as we finish up, and that's from Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And that says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word, and thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to read it together today and study it and meditate on the things that You're making known to us in it and through it. Lord, we pray that we would be people who put you first in all areas of our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would not be people who are suppressing the truth, which is so easy for us to do. We pray that we wouldn't spend our lives trying to run from you or trying to embrace the things of this world instead of being transformed by the renewal of our minds, which you facilitate. And Lord, we pray that likewise we wouldn't be people who try to exhibit a righteousness of our own. We don't have righteousness of our own. But through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, you grant us the gift of your Son's righteousness by faith. So we're grateful, Lord, that you bless us with the righteousness of Christ and that as we trust in you, that we have the privilege to walk day by day empowered by you, confident of your presence with us today. So Lord, again, we pray that you'd help us never to hold anything back from you. And if there's any area of our lives that we've been holding back from you, we pray that we would confess it to you, that we'd repent of that area of disbelief, and that we would walk by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, every day. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you for using your word to confront us about things that usually we don't even want to be confronted about. And uh, we're just grateful, Lord, for the privilege to be able to study it together and even have the freedom to talk about controversial things in this context. We're grateful for it all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.